This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. You're listening to my podcast, Sound Off. In each episode, I talk to people who make music challenging the status quo. Today, that means Brooklyn-based composer William Brittell, whose recent album, Spiritual America, combines so many forces, including the rock band Y Oak, Chamber Symphony Metropolis Ensemble, and the Brooklyn Youth Chorus. He does that to delve deep into his childhood growing up in North Carolina. Now, if you're wondering what could tie Chopin along with hair metal, keep listening. I can't wait for you to experience our conversation and some of his music. We'll do just that right after this quick break. For the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part of the weird circumstance that I grew up in is that I was really serious about classical music and the piano, but I really tried to hide it as much as possible from everyone around me at school because 
I wanted to be the captain of the basketball team and, and date the cheerleader. And those things were incongruous, at least in the environment that I was in. So I actually ended up building a little room in my closet with a keyboard in it and would go in there and write music and poetry kind of hidden away. And it was something that I, that I just did for myself as a coping mechanism. And what did that feel like for you? The thing that appealed to me as an only child where I spent a lot of time by myself was that I could create a different world or sort of an alternate reality, this uh, emotional reality with music, a place that I could go to where things were more reflective of how I wanted them to be or or just a place where I could be totally emotionally honest about who I was and what I was feeling. And I also, I mean, even from early on, would invent album covers and band names. And I liked the world building aspect of it a lot. In terms of music, I grew up mainly with classical music, playing classical piano and playing classical piano competitions. also was really fascinated and am still fascinated with hair metal. That was the most electrifying music I could imagine, you know, it, it involving like Satanism and sex and all of these things that were totally forbidden. That sort of embodied everything that was walled off but made it look so beautiful and attractive. So I was listening to like a lot of Chopin and a lot of Poison all at the same time and bas- basically nothing in between. Fusing, fusing together so many different elements, it can maybe it can feel a little bit nebulous. So I'm wondering how you were fi- able to find a center. I wasn't. <laughs> panic, alternating panic and denial. I mean, it's funny. I feel like this album solved, both created and solved huge life problems for me. It was ridiculous that I was trying to do this with everything that was happening in my life, but I also don't think I would have gotten through what was happening in my life had I not been doing this, if that makes any sense. The, the thing that I've learned over the course of doing a couple albums is just, if I'm not absolutely sure how to do something or how to ex- execute something, there's always somebody else out there that has more experience or more talent or more insight on it. And so I, I really just tried hard to rely on folks with a high level of expertise wherever I could. Naked ghosts cry out in ocean waves Off TV fuzz on channel 17 Men with makeup dressed like little girls In the Thank you.
song Forbidden Colors, you know, I got, I, I mainly wrote this album in my childhood bedroom in North Carolina. It was, a, I've never really experienced this, but I basically couldn't access the world of the record except for in that room. So 
of the last few years of working on it, I would just go down there for a week or so at a time with permission from my family and just lock myself away with yearbooks and my old Bible and just and just sort of the, the, the door, the portal to the world of this album would open up. Usually I, I can just sit and, and write and work in different places. This is the only time I've experienced that. But while I was down working in one stretch, I kept listening Is This Love by Whitesnake over and over and over. That was the first song that I ever had a, a record of, and I remember getting a stereo on probably like my eighth or ninth birthday, maybe, and playing that song over and over. Um, and I ended up basically copying that intro, um, the opening chord, and then using that for Forbidden Colors as a way to open up into this, um, what I think of as like the B-side of the record and then the chorus, if you want to call it that, of the of that song, Nostalgia is a Drug, Nostalgia is a Poison, is sort of referencing back to me feeling like I was stuck in this loop, like I was st- I had kind of gone all the way back into this, the world of my youth, and I'm like, there was part of me that's like, I'm not coming out, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm staying in here, be, being an adult is too hard, there are too many, there, it's too intense, you know, you've overestimated what you what, what you can deal with as an adult you don't you're not up to this you're going to let everyone down and I just kind of wanted to stay in that world uh, and not come back out and so that's sort of like what for me that that o- the opening of the song and also the the lyrics some of the lyrics in it are a reference to that experience Hey everyone, if you're liking what you hear about music here on Sound Off, be sure to check out this awesome podcast from iHeartRadio, Rivals, Music Greatest Feuds. Every week, hosts Stephen and Jordan debate on some of the biggest beefs in musical history. Biggie versus Tupac, Eminem versus Machine Gun Kelly, or even Simon versus Garfunkel. Be sure to tune in and see what side of the arguments you land on. Was Kanye in the right to cut off Taylor Swift? Or who was the 70s true piano man? Listen and subscribe to Rivals, Music's Greatest Feuds, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The collaborations on this album, White Oak, Brooklyn Youth Chorus, Metropolis Ensemble, they're each bringing definite different things to the table with this collaboration. I'd love to hear you just speak on on each of them and 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 why you decided to collaborate with them and what what they what they did for this album. I don't think the album would have been possible without any of them. Why Oak for, for me Jen's voice sort of unlocked things. She has such emotional weight to the way that she sings, but she can also just learn anything. She has a wonderful pop sensibility, but also the ability to execute in weird time signatures and weird key changes. And then Andy from Wyo can pretty much do anything. He was extremely helpful in the mixing process and preparing samples as well as playing percussion. 
they're both just such multifaceted, amazing musicians and really wonderful collaborators. All this Jordan's my disease. Metropolis Ensemble, you know, a lot of these individual songs were commissioned by uh, traditional orchestras, but I decided through, throughout this, through the process to try to find an independent orchestra to work with, and Metropolis was a, a game changer for me. They were able to set aside so much time for rehearsal and really dedicated themselves to learning this. There's a lot of difficult and atypical techniques in this, especially with the strings and they really dedicated themselves to getting it just right, and there's no way I could have done it with any other group. Um, and then BYC was also amazing to work with. You know, they learned a lot of music in a short amount of time. I really wanted to have the voice of children, the voice of innocence in the, in the record. Being able to work with kids at such a high school level with such a wonderful director was also a real privilege. I mean, every this project was so impossible. It was such a nightmare to try to execute, and. I feel incredibly fortunate to have wonderful collaborators basically at every turn, otherwise there's no way I could have pulled it off.
You talk about how this album stems from you exploring your conservative Christian North Carolina upbringing and now being agnostic Buddhist in Brooklyn and reflecting on an instinctual response to trauma. It was kind of a gradual process. It's always hard to boil um, large projects down to like a sentence or two. So I think there was definitely an initial spark that had to do with um, my wanting to reconcile the the way I was brought up in the environment I was brought up in with who I became as an adult. I felt like um, as a as a new father that I had sort of walled off my youth and that I also had reached kind of a point of artistic stagnancy because of that, because the first 17 years of my life, just I didn't like actively kind of factor those in to who I was as a person or as an artist. Um, and so uh, when my son was born, he was um, had to spend a, a while in the NICU, which was really traumatic. And I found myself praying to Jesus, which I hadn't done in like a long, long, long time, probably 20 years. Um, and I remember thinking I need to kind of go back and take stock of that moment. There's something going on here that beneath the surface that I'm not aware of that I need to work through. And in the following years, you know, I've been working on this project for about seven years. I experienced kind of a pretty intense existential crisis. I, I felt like um, who I, my sort of spiritual um, toolkit or my spiritual support system wasn't really successfully withstanding the the stress uh, both emotional and just kind of logistical stress of my life. And I started to think a lot about how I was brought up and sort of long for that, uh, a viewpoint that was like, long for a world w where there was a lot more clarity and where there weren't these huge looming questions all the time. Um, and, and where I had some kind of structure to deal with the unknown or to deal with things that were hard or difficult or someone to talk to about it spiritually. And I didn't, I didn't have that in my life uh, as a grown up. So that's sort of where things started out. And then I ended up over the course of the project sort of working through all that musically, emotionally and spiritually all kind of at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's aluminum in the coke machine behind the glowing red. And there's a man that said a time will come in the bottle line. I see a frozen fern under the pale moon in the timber bright. album that's been released after so much effort has gone into it and through collaboration and all the people who have helped make it what does it feel like to sit and and listen to to it now I just have uh, an incredible sense of peace you know I'm just I'm so happy that I was able to make the thing that I wanted to make and I feel like I've come through whatever it is that I needed to come through and that I'll always be able to hold this thing up and with with pride and and know that there was no compromise in it. That feels pretty wonderful. I mean, I have to say it's also sort of nerve-wracking putting I mean, I've released other albums before I've had that experience, but I've never released anything that came close to being this personal, and that's really difficult. It's really difficult in in today's world of little snippets and <laughs> You know, you have like three or four seconds for somebody to engage with what you're doing, and it feels very anachronistic to throw this thing that's so heavy with every single moment in it. There's struggle and strife in every moment, and I, and I'm, I know that's not a unique experience. I know a lot of people are still making art that way and, and feel the same way I do, but it's, it's, very, um, it's such a vulnerable position to put yourself in. That's composer William Bertel on his album, Spiritual America. A collaboration with indie rockers Y Oak, Chamber Symphony Metropolis Ensemble, and Brooklyn Youth Chorus. 
It's a record he released last year on New Amsterdam and Nunsuch Records. I'm Katie Henriksen. You've been listening to my podcast, Sound Off, which explores creativity at the intersection of art, music, and literature and digs into what that work and the people making it tell us about life in the 21st century. If you'd like details of the music you heard, head on over to my Substack newsletter. I also feature a Q&A with Wyoke's Jen Wasner this time around. Newsletter includes hand-picked playlists, essays, and extras that don't make it into the podcast. Become a subscriber at soundoff.substack.com. Soundoff is produced solely by me for the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. I hope I've offered you a bit of time to dwell in the music and discover new sounds. Until next time, I hope you continue resonating with that great force of music.